Welcome to Macintosh and Mod. Haven't seen what? The podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And today, we're starting a new series. We're back! We're back. We've taken a bit of a break because life. But also, we needed a chance to kind of figure out what we wanted to do next. We've done, for this podcast, we've done over 200 movies. Oh my god. Yeah, it's a lot. So, we're starting to get to a place where, like, what haven't we seen? And we've purposely avoided the 90s because so many people podcast about 90s movies. But we haven't done that yet. Mm -mm. So we have set up a list for every year of the 90s of films that one of us haven't seen, or in some cases, both of us have never seen, but we know we should have at this point. And so we are going to do a 90s series where we take one movie from each year of the 90s, and we're going to talk about that. Conspicuously absent, though, you will find one year, and that may be a clue for later. Yeah, if you've been following us for any amount of time, you already know what that means. So today we are starting with 1990s Pretty Woman. A man in a legal but hurtful business needs an escort for some social events and hires a beautiful sex worker he meets, only to fall in love. (gasps) I have never seen this movie the entire way through. I have apparently seen this movie a lot. (laughs) um so a couple a couple things about this this was a vhs tape my mother had that she specifically kept out of the family rotation it was in her her wardrobe and like i knew it was there but i also knew we were not allowed to watch it i mean fair fair totally fair we were children when this came out like this is not child appropriate no I remember I was at their house and I was probably 18, 19, maybe 20. And I was like dog sitting or something. And my parents were off and my mom called me. I was like, what are you doing? I was like, oh, I'm watching Pretty Woman. I was that playing on TV. I was like, no, I took your VHS. Diana, you cannot watch that. I was like, mom, I'm an adult. (laughs) So I watched it. But when I was younger... I had the soundtrack to this movie. I don't know why, but I did. And I listened to it so much that I was singing along to every song in this movie. And apparently I know a lot of the lines too. I had to shut her up sometimes, you know? Yeah, he's never had to do that with a movie. I've had to do it to David. But he has never had to tell me to stop quoting a movie as we watch it. Look, I, I love your enthusiasm, but I also need to see it. <laughs> That's totally valid. <laughs> I'm just saying this is a first. A first. Uh, this is still a really good movie. It is. It so holds up. To an extent. Yes. There are things in it that are not great, but it's still a fun story. It holds up to the date in which it was made. Sure. And there's, that's an interesting quandary. Uh, We find movies where it's like, this was bad even for its time. Sure. Versus the things I particularly don't like about this story are things that are tropes and potential actual issues for that time period. Sure. So, and, and getting around that, it really revolves around the film's attitude towards sex work. Oh, absolutely. Like, that's... That's the thing in this movie that is really frustrating. A, the attitude it has is required in order to make the story work. Um, A little bit. 
I don't think so. I think you can have a more progressive, nuanced take on sex work and still have this a similar situation. I mean, fair. But also, it's very much from a time in which the profession was completely looked down upon. And also from a time in which, for many sex workers, it was incredibly dangerous. It's, well, those things are still true today. I, that's fair. There's been There's been a lot of good conversations about the fact that sex work is real work. And it does need to be validated because... It's being paid for. This is legitimately something that a service that people need and want. Um, I hope that goes away someday. But again, you could have the same movie today with better progressive language and attitudes. Um, yeah, I mean, I just I think it's I think it's totally possible. Yeah, it. We'll talk about it with the writing of the script because it it. <laughs> yeah. In the weirdest possible way, this movie is Disneyfied. Yes. <laughs> Compared to what I know it originally was. Yeah, and to be fair for what it originally was, it really wasn't as as potentially dark as people want to make it out to be. Mm -hmm. But very literally, Disney got their hands on this and made it into a fairy tale. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, as we'll talk about, because my opinion of the movie is honestly better because it works better for that story. The cast involved, the director involved, and the way it worked out works really well for what they made. Mm -hmm. It's just that it's not the same movie as it was originally intended to be. Sure. And if you do go that darker route... I, in 1990 or 1989, when this was being made, mm -hmm. I don't think it would have been anywhere near as uniquely compelling and interesting. These characters would not have been given the right amount of agency in an 80s movie. Oh, no, that was very rare. <laughs> it's still sometimes rare. So I think this is the rare case of I don't like the message that it necessarily sends, but for its time, it approached the story in the best way it could. Okay. I think that's the most reasonable take with what we're doing here. Mm. So with that, we'll start off with the budget, which was $14 million. It okay. is quite a lot of money put into this movie. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't ever limited, period. Like it, This was just what it wound up being. Because, as we have alluded to, this is a Disney feature. Now, it's through Touchstone, because it is an R-rated film. Mm -hmm. But Touchstone is the adult wing of Disney Entertainment, or was in the 80s and 90s. Um, so, because it wasn't limited, they used the highest-end locations. It is filmed almost exclusively on location in Beverly Hills. Um, you can tell that they paid the money for those locations because... Okay. It's in the script. They, they've got to go to those places. You've got to sell it. I, yeah. I mean, I wonder if they actually went to the Met because that one would be easy to fake. We will get there. Oh, okay. But the Escargot restaurant was at the Rex, now called Cicada. The Beverly Wilshire was shot at the now defunct Ambassador Hotel. And yes, they did film on Rodeo Drive. Of course they did. You can't fake that. But they had to film on a Sunday because Rodeo Drive has very specific and strict filming regulations. I did know that. Hmm, interesting. Now, 
This movie grossed $463,500,000. That's obscene for 1990. <laughs> obscene. It has a very sizable budget for a relatively small rom-com. Mm -hmm. Okay? This is not a complicated plot structure, and it the locations are there, but it doesn't require a lot of different settings with a lot of different people. They splurged. Mm-hmm. And it made uh 30 times its budget. I mean, you cannot ask for anything better than that. For as much money as you know the big Marvel movies make, it ain't got nothing on that. On that. Well, like that the the other crazy part about this is when you look at the domestic numbers, it's mm -hmm. somewhere in like 140. Globally, it made 463 million. Yeah. Which means this movie did even better overseas. Yeah. It was a global success. It is utter lightning in a bottle. Yeah, it's amazing. And was just so instantly successful. Now, I got to say, that's because the quality brought to it by the creative team is what sets it apart from a lot of rom-coms. I would agree with that. I think, I think you can see that. The thoughtfulness and care that went into it and its willingness to be edgy, mm -hmm. be moody, be sexy, mm -hmm. made it stand apart from standard fare. Yeah. Because in the 80s, sexy movies were dumb. Mm -hmm. they, were, they were dumb comedies and it just the sex was incidental or it was romantic, but you could never show anything. Yeah. Like, uh, the the only exceptions are things that were going to go straight to video. Yeah, pretty much. So this is one of the first big budget movies that was willing to, like, really ride that line. And it's kind of amazing that it came out of Disney. But as we'll talk about, this is the weird case where the Disneyfication of the story honestly works. <laughs> yeah. From my understanding of what the original story was, it made it a better story. It just works better. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's talk about our writer, and credited for this movie is J.F. Lawton. Okay. Now, this is his first major motion picture, and after this, whoo boy, it's not going to get better. Oh. He wrote Mistress, Under Siege, Blank Man, he created the television series VIP, hmm. and he wrote DOA Dead or Alive, the video game film. Okay. And that's his big credits. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah, we're not, uh, we're not really making a big splash on this one. Nope. Now we have some uncredited writers as well. We have Robert Garland, who worked on the Twilight on Twilight Zone, the movie, and was one of the eighty million writers on Tootsie. <laughs> okay. We have Stephen Metcalf, who's written a handful of really smaller movies. It appears like Roommates, Jackknife, things nobody's really heard of. And we have Barbara Benedek, who worked on The Big Chill and Sabrina. Oh, okay. The remake of Sabrina. So we have some very good uh, dialogue-heavy writers coming in. Okay. And that's probably for the best because of how this movie started off. But before we get there, just as a whole, let's talk about the writing. Okay. I mean, I it's not a new story. You know, two people get come together and they have a working relationship 
And there's a very strict, like, we're not going to become involved. That's just not going to happen. And then, oh man, we spent so much time together. We actually really like each other. And gosh, darn it. We like each other and I can't live without you. And we're going to be together. Um, Yeah. That's just, it's not, it's not a new story. We've just created some different barriers. It's Pygmalion, but the power differential is related around money. Well, money and sex. Yeah. It's money and sex. As opposed Um, to class. Yeah. Uh, Well, the class is definitely a part of it. There there is, it's implied. Um, It is Pygmalion. Um, It's just the makeover isn't, you know, the only, is, is for eye candy, not for necessity when it really comes down to it. I think the writing's pretty good. I feel like the the story they give us to each character is believable. You know, I I really like that over the story, like you can see that like she is softening him. Like by the end of the movie, he's out on that balcony. Like he is. Like that's the last scene of him in the room is him actually on the balcony. He's Um, terrified of heights. (laughs) Terrified. But it's like, ah, like, she liked being out here and like she shook shook him loose and she was just being herself yeah it it's really i mean it's just it's just fun it's just fun i think it's fun but i think the script itself Mm -hmm. is just solid that's not to say that it needs to be any more than that Mm -hmm. but it's not like the script is doing a lot of the heavy lifting in this movie the script is very solid. The mm-hmm. plot structure works really well. Nothing feels dra- nothing feels like it drags or slows anything down. Mm-hmm. All of the characters feel really purposeful, mm-hmm. even if they're just there for a comedic effect. But like even the smaller roles, they all have a part to play. And that's at the end of the day. Look, we can we can talk in lofty terms about this movie, but it's a rom com. It doesn't need to be super complicated. So I think they just put together a really solid script with some really great flourishes of dialogue. Well, I think the other thing that's really good, and this this is both a little bit writing and editing, is that we don't stay in any one situation for too long. Yeah. We don't stay in the discomfort too long, and some of that is through dialogue. We don't stay in, like, sexy times too much, and that might be a little bit of editing. Um it isn't all fantasy all the time. Like the shopping montage is exactly the right of mount. We get little breaks in between it with like Edward on the phone. He's doing work while she's shopping. And it's like, we need major sucking up. Not me, her. It's, it's just the right amount because it's like, otherwise you're just watching her close, 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 which is fun, but it becomes diminishing returns at a certain point. It does. However, chemistry has a big part to play here. We're going to talk about it with cast, but like... I mean, the chemistry is off the charts. Yeah. (laughs) You have to have this level of chemistry to make this all work, but it helps that we're not sitting in, you know, like the scene with uh, Stucky when, you know, he attacks her. We don't sit in that too long. It doesn't need to linger. Exactly. But that's true of all of it we don't sit in any one thing good or bad for too long because we're moving a lot it's very efficient it's efficient the the scenes are efficient yeah which just helps everybody else 
get to shine Mm -hmm. without overextending the moment. Yeah. That's fair. Well, as we've alluded to many, many times, the movie was originally written as a much darker piece about Los Angeles and sex work in the 1980s. Now, I have read somewhere where the writer may have suggested that this was overblown or not Mm -hmm. necessarily true. So I I would take some of the like really big details with a grain of salt on this Mm -hmm. of I'm sure based on what I've read that it was darker in its original format. But I don't know that it still didn't have some romantic qualities to it. Mm. In the original script, as as the story goes, Vivian would have been addicted to drugs. Mm-hmm. And part of the deal for the week was that she had to be off of cocaine for the entire week. Mm. Which I'm sure would have involved then a whole lot of issues with struggling with withdrawals and all of that. And then the script ended with Vivian and Kit headed to Disneyland. So I don't think she ends up with the guy in the end of the original version. Okay. In fact, Kit holding a Winnie the Pooh bear in the movie while on the phone is an allusion to that original script. Okay. Now, the producers objected to the darkness of the script, and their reason was, we want Vivian to be sympathetic. Okay. So this is not even Disney. This is just... Okay, no, I I mean, I think that's fair. That's That's the number one issue. You're going to center this movie around this person. For all intents and purposes, it's 1989 at this point. Mm -hmm. This movie is going to be coming out that year. They are like, we cannot make her an antihero. That is not going to play for audiences. (laughs) And I think that's just a a doing the math and also recognizing that we want to make this a star vehicle. Mm -hmm. So let's make this character really fascinating and sympathetic. And then Disney, of course, who owned Touchstone, was the one who insisted that it be presented as a modern fairy tale love story. Now, we can argue all day about whether that's the right decision, but I, I, I have to believe that once they said, well, we don't really want it to be this dark, we need her to be a sympathetic character, then Disney comes in and goes, well, what the hell? Yeah, it's going to be R-rated, but why don't you make it an R-rated fairy tale? Hmm, okay. I I feel like that's a good logic from the studio execs. Sure. And it doesn't seem like it's the standard Disney point mm-hmm. because at no point did they pull punches from this movie. This movie, I mean, it might get away with a PG-13 now. Yeah. But it is it is very grown up. Oh, sure. Like there's nothing PGG rated about how this movie is presented to us. And I appreciate that. And and Disney, I think, understood what the story was. They just went, why don't you make it a grown-up fairy tale that doesn't pull punches? Yeah. But is still a fairy tale. Yeah. Well, I I think fairy tale is still not the exact right term. And it's not a rom-com. But just because, uh, I mean, while it is funny, it is also just, it, it takes itself seriously. I think it is a rom-com, but it's the best example of a rom-com trying to be grounded in reality. Mm-hmm. Some of the best romantic comedies do that. <laughs> they they just say, yes, we're going to be funny. I mean, by this right, we could also call something like Before Sunrise a romantic comedy, mm. but it's definitely a romantic comedy that feels like it's grounded in a certain idea. I mean, it just I think it's that this film has stakes. Well, that's true. The characters have stakes. It's not just about wanting to fall in love. In fact, that's not on 
either one of theirs agenda, which I like, but you know, I think throughout the film, they continue to remind us that this is a business arrangement, which is also very smart. Mm-hmm. It's true. It, it just, it works. It works. Mm-hmm. I don't know their motivations. It may have been that Disney's just like, well, we can't present this to our, our normal audience, mm-hmm. but no matter what, it worked for the movie. Yeah. It made it a better movie. The original title of the film was $3,000. Yep. Based of the amount of money agreed upon for the two, Disney made them change it because they said it sounded like a sci-fi film. Okay. I mean, everybody would just call it 3000 Yeah, that's fair. Pretty Woman works better. And you get to play the song. Why not? You get to, the song works and it's essentially like, I need a pretty woman. That's what I need. Mm-hmm. Fair. Fair. Um. To his credit, I will actually say, Lawton ultimately thinks that the chemistry of Richard Gere and Julia Roberts is the biggest reason the movie changed into having a happy ending. Agreed. I think the chemistry between the two actors, and we'll get into casting later, that's ultimately what made them go, there is no way we can make this a dark film. (laughs) These two are so charming together. (laughs) Yeah. And and it's also one of those, like, even if we wrote it so that they don't end up together, you want them both to be okay. Yes. Which is also fine. Yeah. You just, like, they're so fun to see together, which is why they've done more than one of these. And a, a fun final note on the writing. When they were filming Vivian's princess monologue, probably her biggest line in the film, mm-hmm. talking about wanting to be rescued, they had not yet written the final scene where Edward comes to, quote, rescue her. Aww. So. That's fun. All right. Well, let's talk about our director, who I think is the first part of what punches this movie from really solid, interesting story to all-time cable classic. Mm-hmm. That is Gary Marshall. The Gary Marshall. Before this, he created so many television shows of such importance it would make your head spin. Such as? He was a writer on The Dick Van Dyke Show, on Love American Style. He developed The Odd Couple television series. He created Mork and Mindy, and Laverne and Shirley, and Joni Loves Chachi, and Happy Days. Yeah, dude's dude's good at his job. And that's before he started directing movies. Then he directed The Flamingo Kid, Overboard, and Beaches. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that terrible movie. But Overboard is a treasure. After this, he directed Frankie and Johnny, The Other Sister, Runaway Bride, The Princess Diaries, Raising Helen, The Princess Diaries 2 Royal Engagement, Georgia Rule, Valentine's Day, New Year's Eve, and Mother's Day. Billy Roberts in a lot of those. Well, I mean, duh. Yeah. I mean, and then there's a reason why Anne Hathaway for so long, especially when she started her career, was referred to as the new Julia Roberts. Dude has an eye for a certain specific type of actress that gets his comedy. Pretty, but a little bit goofy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It works. It does. It he's you you can see his his hand on so many things. He's so good at taking a very grounded premise mm-hmm. and finding the funny out of it. Yeah. I mean, think about Happy Days. Happy Days is, it's like the really benign version of Seinfeld. Sure. It's these kids in a town and nothing really of importance is happening, 
But out of that, they are finding so many ridiculous premises to run with. Well, let's just sprinkle on some silly. Let's sprinkle some silly in here. We can and then do like that. Laverne and Shirley. Oh my god! Two women who work in a factory in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And then it's like the funniest thing ever. This is his bread and butter. Is he can take a very serious premise and really elevate the humor out of it so that it's super enjoyable, but you still get all the impact of the seriousness. Mm-hmm. That's his super special talent. And this is one of his real, real highlights in that. Like, this is the pinnacle of taking what is a pretty, you know, deadly serious and controversial premise Mm -hmm. and making it really relatable and fun to watch. Because this could have been a really boring or gross movie. Yeah, but it wasn't. It's not. (laughs) And I feel like that's a whole lot of, of him just putting all of his his handprint and comedy experience onto it and and being really practical and like how are we going to make this scene work mm-hmm. cuz that's his biggest thing i mean you you can see it all over the movies he does is just like okay we got this weird thing we have to do how are we going to make it work mm-hmm. and it actually the audience buy into it so i think that i think it's fantastic direction i think that's what elevates this movie for mm-hmm. starters. Well, Marshall is a very hands-on director. Notably, to get Julia Roberts to laugh during the I Love Lucy rerun, he tickled Julia Roberts' feet to get her to hysterically laugh. I've never seen this one before. The The only believable way you can do that is if she's actually laughing at it. Yep. Everyone's seen that before. Yes. So, but to me, it's the details that sell the movie, such as the opera being featured in the film La Traviata, which of course is about a sex worker that falls in love with a wealthy man. While reading in the park on his day off, Edward is reading Sonnet 29, When in Disgrace with Fortune and Men's Eyes. And as a very silly one, in the opening scene, the letters in the hotel where Vivian lives aren't fully lit, only the H and the O are lit up. That's not very subtle. It's not subtle, but that's the kind of joke he goes for. Where it's not subtle, but you also have to be looking for it to notice it. Sure. I didn't see it, but that's the kind of detail he's putting in. Sure. And sometimes it's for a just dumb joke, but sometimes it's for a really high lofty thing like the opera or the sonnet. Mm -hmm. Even when it comes to just stupid sight gags, he's bringing a level of attention and care to it. Mm -hmm. He, He cares about the story he's telling. Which is oddly, weirdly hard to find with a lot of movies. Yeah. All right. Well, who could have been better? No one. Now, I have to caveat with this. This was in its earlier, darker incarnation. Mm-hmm. Richard Gere pitched the German maestro of misery, Werner Herzog. Oh, God, no. If it was darker. I mean, the dark version, okay. <sighs> First of all, it wouldn't be Julia Roberts. It has to be some completely different actress. Because Werner, Werner goes like a thousand times beyond method acting. Mm-hmm. Werner lives the movie when he makes it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I could totally understand Gear being like, I would love to work with this guy. But you've got to have an actress who also is really ready to work with him. Because Werner does not pull punches on how he makes movies. <laughs> I mean, that's true. And like 
he's such a weird edge case of like he goes far far beyond the the Stanley Kubrick model like mm-hmm. the man lifted a boat over a mountain to make a film yeah i know because he's just that crazy he is that guy but i mean he's also supposedly just the nicest dude he's just so intense <laughs> i don't know i again it would have to be a completely different movie oh sure but it it was a name that popped up that made me just go, oh, wow. <laughs> but Werner Herzog directing this film would just be bizarre. Yes, I, 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 that, it's a no for me. Just Julia Roberts. Once I believed I was a princess. Yeah, that's not surprising. <laughs> but the princess's dreams were dashed on the rocks of all eternity and blood spilled out all over them. I'll never dream again. Kinski always says it's full of erotic elements. I don't see it so much erotic. I see it more full of obscenity. It's just, and nature here is vile and base. I wouldn't see anything erotical here. I would see fornication and asphyxiation and choking and fighting for survival and growing and just rotting away. Of course, there's a lot of misery, but it is the same misery that is all around us. The trees here are in misery and the birds are in misery. I don't think they they sing, they just screech in pain. Anyway, on to probably the most important part about this film. Mm -hmm. And perhaps, Diana, the most substantial epic round of Who Could Have Been Betters I have ever seen. Oh. There are so many names. Okay. So many names. Okay. We start with Richard Gere. Okay. Playing Edward Lewis. Before this, he was in Looking for Mr. Goodbar, Days of Heaven, American Gigolo, An Officer and a Gentleman. Only an officer, not a gentleman. Breathless, Beyond the Limit, The Cotton Club, Power, and Internal Affairs. After this, he was in And the Band Played On, First Night, Primal Fear, Red Corner, The Jackal, Runaway Bride, Autumn in New York, Dr. T and the Women, The Mothman Prophecies, Unfaithful, Chicago, Shall We Dance, Bee Season, The Hoax, The Hunting Party, I'm Not There, Knights in Rodanthe, Brooklyn's Finest, Amelia, The Double, Arbitrage, The Second Best Exotic Marigold Hotel, and Three Christs. What do we think of Richard Gere in this film? He's the right amount of stuffy. They nailed the casting for him in this. Well, he he plays it so well. He is stuffy and uptight. Not so much that he wouldn't get a sex worker, but just enough that it's like it makes total sense that he's he he wears beige and gray. He's all business. Like it's it. Like Doing anything fun or enjoyable is just foreign to him. That's just not his life. His character is supposed to be a Bain Capital 80s corporate raider. Mm -hmm. But the beautiful part of casting Richard Gere, who's very steely. Yes. At times to his detriment. But for this role, it's such the opposite of the super slimy, I'm going to make a deal guy. Mm -hmm. No, he's, I am a machine and I am going to crush you. The whole thing with this is how she softens him, like you said, which plays so well because when he softens, 
Richard Gere is totally capable of playing that, and you get to see that side emerge, mm-hmm. which I think works so well. It's something we missed when we talked about an officer and a gentleman, where it's like they never, he never ever got there. But in this one, you get to actually watch him break down those walls. Yeah. I mean, it's a slow process. And he he's really, really good. It's a movie that proves it's like, oh, yeah, there's a reason he was a movie star. Also, he's so fucking hot. Mm-hmm. He's just so attractive as a person. That doesn't hurt. But like, it's it's all about how much he embodies the character. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he's he's just fantastic. During their first meeting, Julia Roberts and Richard Gere had immediate chemistry. But Richard Gere was not planning on taking the role. He intended to turn it down. And while he got on the phone to turn the role down, Julia slipped him a note that said, quote, please say yes. No. And at that, he accepted the role. I mean, yeah. Just they got in that room and she was like, come on, you got to do this. You have to do this. It's too good. The other funny part about this is he had turned down the role of Gordon Gecko in Wall Street in 1987. That was a good move for him. I mean, it, it would have pegged him in a different lane for sure. But Michael Douglas is better at playing the true slime of that. Mm-hmm. Richard Gere, I, again, it makes it interesting because this is not a Gordon Gecko character. Mm-hmm. This is a very different side of that. And for a movie that's about how a relationship comes out of a business deal really works a lot better mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, being the representation of what was horrible about Wall Street in the 80s. Gear was initially way more active and assertive in his acting. Mm-hmm. And Gary Marshall had to pull him aside <laughs> to get him to, to take a different tactic. Quote, mm-hmm. no, 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 Richard. In this movie, one of you moves and one of you doesn't. Guess which one you are, unquote. (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. I I can totally understand him being like, you know, I'm a corporate guy. I got to be active. I'm busy. I was like, "Mm -mm, no, 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 no. That is not the dynamic. That is not going to work, bud. And you are so much better when you're standing there looking steely and aloof. And the piano scene is actually Gear's own composition. He is actually playing. That I did not know. However, they had to dub in the piano keys during their sex scene because the actual notes they hit on the piano were too discordant. Mink fair. (laughs) If they hit like cordant actual notes that translated to music, that would have been incredible. I'd be like, that is talent. It would have been too much. Okay, are you ready for the first round of Who Could Have Been Better? For Richard Gere, yes. Christopher Reeve. No. Roberts was unable to read with Christopher Reeve because she had other commitments, and the casting director read so poorly that Reeve tore the script apart and stormed out. Mm, Okay. I mean, that's got to be frustrating. This is a big movie, and you have nothing to work with. Mm. And then you know you're not getting the role, and you're just like, oh, I get that. I get that feeling. Hmm. Al Pacino. Oh. He did a read with Julia Roberts, and I there was no reports of anything bad. I think it was just a thing of just not the right chemistry. I can see that. But not an, not an uninteresting choice. W- again, it wouldn't be right against Julia Roberts. You would have to have a different actress. It's Yes, it's a different flavor. 
But as long as the dynamic was there, I mean, he's he's got the Ricky Roma thing. He can do it. Mm-hmm. It would just be a different part of it. So I don't know. Burt Reynolds. Again, different actress, possibly a different setting. I don't think he works at all. No, not for this particular story. No. Although he said after seeing the film and the sex scenes with Julia, he made a big mistake. Shut up, mm-hmm. Bert. God damn it. Man just thinks entirely with his penis. Well, that's correct. John Travolta. Yeah. Now, he auditioned for this role because this was during his first dip in his career. Okay. But I don't hate that, honestly. No, again, with the right, this film is all about the chemistry of the two people. You have, it's got to be perfect or it ain't going to work. He's not going to work with Julia Roberts. It's just not. Um, he, the thing is, he com- he can be so sweet. And when he's doing romantic stuff, that's how he is. You can't have someone that's that sweet next to Julia Roberts, who is also very sweet. Yeah. It just doesn't that, work. That is fair. You need somebody more cold and cool. And even at his like coolest, like even in Pulp Fiction, he's still so goofy and silly charming in mm-hmm. Pulp Fiction. Yeah. And that's like the coolest he's ever been on film. So it's just like, no, yeah, that doesn't work right. Yeah. He had also turned down the lead in American Gigolo, which is the film that made Richard Gere a star. Yeah. So and that was at the height of John Travolta's run. Mm-hmm. All considered for the role, but never auditioned. Daniel Day-Lewis. No. Kevin Klein. Yes. Yes, we saw Sophie's Choice Kevin Klein. That level of seriousness he can bring. I know he's off the rails in that movie, but still. Oh, he can bring, he, the man can do everything. Also, yeah. him with Julia Roberts would work well. Denzel Washington. Um. 1989 Denzel Washington? No, different, not with Julia Roberts, but yes. Dennis Quaid. Yeah. Two, two aw shucks. Doesn't work right. No, I think he can do it. Harrison Ford. Absolutely. Yes. He's done this role. Bruce Campbell. <laughs> no. Oh, Bruce Campbell is Stucky, though. Oh, yes. That would have been amazing. That, that could have been that, that could have been good. Danny Glover. Also, yes. John Hurd. I want to say yes. It's so hard to imagine John Hurd here when you know him best as like the dad in Home Alone. <laughs> I know it's he's capable. It wouldn't work with Julia Roberts. A little less silly and a little more just romantic. He would yeah. work. Yeah. 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 If you don't need that like cracking back and forth chemistry, John yeah. Hurd works really well. Yeah. I agree with that. Actors who declined mm-hmm. Albert Brooks. Yeah. Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. Ooh, Stallone would be good. No, he would not. Really? No. Okay. All right. He can't I can't see him making the the switch between stern and then melty sweet. We know he he's good with the fighting and he can be sweet. So sweet. But there has to be this shift and especially in 1990 he did not have that. He doesn't have the right presence. He has the acting capability but his presence already forces him out of the equation. Well there's there's that but that's like asking Arnold Schwarzenegger to do this role. Yeah, that's absolutely fair. It's the same thing. It's like you have two modes, but in this film, we have to see we have to see you go from one to the other progressively in a way that makes sense. And y'all, neither of those men can do that. We've never seen them do it on screen. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Testing for the role. Oh, 
There's, there's just so many layers to this. Sam Neal. Oh, hells yes. Thousand percent. And would have been good opposite Julia Roberts. I, I can buy that, yes. Charles Grodin. Eh. <laughs> when they decided on the dynamic of the characters, because I think at this point they were thinking, well, what if we make him the goofy one? Yeah, that doesn't work. It doesn't, but he did test for the role. All right. And he even was like, I don't know why I'm here. Fair. Now, this might make sense later when I get to some other who could have been betters. Mm -hmm. But just on its own, I'm curious. Christopher Lambert. Who's that? Highlander. Oh. Um, I get the looks part of that. Um, but no. He's so French Canadian. Just no. Now, we will revisit that one later when we talk about a who could have been better for Vivian. Okay, but I I just, mm-hmm. I like him, but he makes sense in this world, but not in that position. Yeah, okay. How about Disney's choice for the role, which was Sean Connery? Fuck no. <laughs> he was old as shit then. I will also have to point out Disney's choice for Vivian opposite Sean Connery when we get there. Okay, fair. Fair. <laughs> I still think you're going to say it? no. You have to tell me now. I think you might double down on no. No, 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 no. We'll get no, there. We'll get no. there. We'll get Damn there. it, David. We'll get there. And finally, I mean, he can do anything. Robin Williams. No, but him as Stucky. Mm, I don't want to see him as Stucky, though. Or as the hotel manager. Oh, my God. Oh, Look, I love Hector Elizondo. Don't get me wrong. Oh, but he's a treasure too. But oh my God, if Robin had done that. Yeah. But kept it subbed. Yeah, that or have him play like the bellhop who just keeps hanging around. <laughs> uh, yeah. I told you these are epic. Just wait till we get to the other one. Jeez. And as I say that, Julia Roberts playing Vivian Ward. Now, at this point, Julia Roberts was an unknown. When they cast this movie, Steel Magnolias had not come out yet. Okay. So the only film role she had in the books was Mystic Pizza. Which both of those films we have covered in our 80s series. Now, Mystic Pizza, she's fantastic in it. Absolutely. And Steel Magnolias, she was nominated for a fucking Oscar when it finally got out. (laughs) I, I don't think it's her best role, but I understand. She's amazing in Steel Magnolias. Yep. And after this, mm-hmm. which, as we can assume, made her one of the biggest movie stars ever. Oh, yes. After this, she is in Flatliners, Sleeping with the Enemy, Hook, The Player, The Pelican Brief, Ready to Wear, Something to Talk About, Mary Riley, Michael Collins, Everyone Says I Love You, My Best Friend's Wedding, Conspiracy Theory, Stepmom, Notting Hill, Runaway Bride, Aaron Brockovich, The Mexican, America's Sweethearts, Ocean's Eleven, Full Frontal, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, Mona Lisa Smile, Closer, Ocean's Twelve, Charlie Wilson's War, Duplicity, Valentine's Day, Eat, Pray, Love, Larry Crown, Mirror, Mirror, August Osage County, Mother's Day, Money Monster, Wonder, Homecoming on Television, Gaslit on Television, and she's going to be in another rom-com with George Clooney. Holy shit. But, uh, you know, she got an Oscar for one of those. So, yeah, she's done very well. She's done so well. And she's she's just enjoyable to watch. She really is. She is amazing <laughs> in this movie. Yeah, I don't I don't get there's a lot of people who's just annoyed by Julia Roberts. And I'm just not. I enjoy her. I don't think she's the most amazing thing ever, but I think she's fun. Well, I, I think it, it could be equated to the overexposure thing. Totally like she was fair. just in 
every giant movie in the 90s. She was in every yeah. giant romantic movie of the 1990s. Like it was just such a thing. And they were all good. They were. That's the that's the Runaway Bride, great. My best friend's wedding, fucked up premise, but also great. America Sweethearts. America Sweethearts is my favorite fucking movie ever. Ever. And then Tess, fucking Tess in Ocean's Eleven. I mean, that's one of my favorite movies of all time. Like, America's Sweethearts and Ocean's Eleven are the two films that I have spent more of my life sleeping to on VHS, DVD, and streaming than any other films in existence. It's almost as though I could start playing the movie in my mind and keep it going. You could. You could. I absolutely could. And to add to this level of astonishment that I have for her in this, Gear and Roberts are 18 years apart in age. When they were filming this, he was 40 years old. She was 22. Yeah, that's Hollywood. I mean, that is also the like, oof. And we're going to get into some real oof who could have been betters. Of course we are. We'll talk about it. It winds up okay because we have a director who's not an asshole. No. And as far as we know, not a creeper. No. What I will say is that Gear does not read to me as 40, and Julia Roberts does not read to me as being 22. She's definitely in her 20s. But if you told me Gear himself or his character was like 35, would totally believe that. No, but my thing is, that's what makes her performance so astonishing. This is her third studio picture. Mm-hmm. And she's only got one that was somewhat of a success. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. And she she's this good? Mm-hmm. That's what's so amazing about it. She is so new to the scene, but she is instantly so good on screen. Yeah. She just has it. She is a full-fledged movie star right here in this movie. And you would think she'd been doing it for a decade. By just how natural she fits into the role. Mm-hmm. I mean, not only is the chemistry between her and Richard perfect, but she's doing the heavy lifting because that's what's required. Mm-hmm. And she does it and makes it look like it's nothing. Yep. I mean, damn. Yep. It's incredible. She is. She did encounter a few small occupational hazards. Mm. During the bathtub scene, they had to use a lot of detergent so they could create a really thick bubble bath. But all of her red hair dye immediately washed out. Oh, no. <laughs> so she had to go that night to get it re-dyed. Yeah. <laughs> and during the sex scene, she was so nervous, a vein visibly popped out on her forehead. <gasps> so Gary Marshall got in the bed with her and Richard Gere, and the two of them massaged her forehead until the vein disappeared. I know. I know there's someone out there being like, that's just creepy. It's like, no, they're taking care of her. No, they're not like being creepy about it. They're like, okay, well, number one, we can't film the scene. And number two, it's going to be okay. Here, we'll help. (laughs) Yeah. Um, She also broke into hives and was using calamine lotion until everything calmed down enough that they went away. She was so incredibly nervous about the sex scene. No, I mean, fair, but oh, again. They took care of her. I really appreciate that. And for a young star, that doesn't happen a lot. A young female star. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. 
Lines were added to make Vivian from Georgia because Marshall wasn't sure they could completely hide Julia's accent because she is from Smyrna, Georgia. Smyrna, Georgia. Her ad-libs are also very, very good. When she enters the penthouse, she asks if she can remove her boots, and that was because the boots were hurting her feet. So she just threw it into the character. I love it. Now, the who could have been betters, because Julia was apparently nobody's first choice. I mean, not shocking. In retrospect, what the fuck were they thinking? But hindsight is hard, especially when you have a star who is completely unproven. I mean, it's... It's totally fair that at that point, nobody knew, like, is she really going to work out? Is this going to go okay? Because they had no, they, I mean, she was good in Mystic Pizza, but she wasn't this good in Mystic Pizza. Yeah. If you'd seen Steel Magnolias, I don't think there would have been as much consternation. But Gary Marshall's first choice was Karen Allen. Okay. It's interesting. I don't, I don't hate it. Karen Allen's a great actress. Oh, yeah. She, she has a similar flavor, sure. So fun as Marion in Indiana Jones, man. Oh, yeah. Love her. Also, who could have been better? Mary Steenburgen. No. It's hard to think about, though. Like, I haven't seen Mary Steenburgen in 1989. No. Hmm. Diane Lane. Yes. Now, she was reportedly incredibly close to the role when it was still in its sort of darker mode. Mm-hmm. She got as far as costume fittings until she ran into scheduling issues, and she had to drop. But of course, she has gone on to be a co-star with Richard Gere in three other films. So yes, yeah, so it's fine. <laughs> uh, but it, the the two of them make a ton of sense. Oh sure. Okay, now we mentioned Christopher Lambert. Yeah, he would have been opposite Molly Ringwald. How old is Molly Ringwald in 1990? Molly would have been about 21. I don't love it, but okay. But for the role. I mean, again, Julia's 22. <laughs> no. It's, it's going to get weirder here, okay? God damn it, David. I, I'm sorry. I, this, I am reporting the facts. It has to be a different movie, though, right? Yeah, it's a different movie. Molly's funny. I mean, for fuck's sake, she was so good in all the John Hughes movies. Yeah, but again, it's a very different flavor. It's got to be a little more serious so that her humor is just in the sarcasm and the eye rolling. Mm-hmm. Now, the reports were that she turned it down because of the content, because she didn't want to play a sex worker. Uh, In 2010, she did an interview with The Atlantic. And during that interview, she stated that that had nothing to do with it. When she got it, there were no details. She didn't even know if it was a firm offer. Mm -hmm. It was just a script to read. Mm, At that point, gear wasn't even attached to it. Like, we didn't know what this was yet. Sure. And she now believes that no one else but Julia Roberts could have actually played this role. Like, she's like, I I would not have been as good as she was. Also true. Like, no shade to Molly. Okay, brace yourself. Oh, no. Drew Barrymore. No. Now, let me point this out. Gary Marshall turned all of these incredibly young actresses down because they were too young. Good. They were auditioning of their own volition. This is not Gary pitching them. This is them auditioning for the role. I don't like it. I don't like it, but kudos to Gary Marshall for being like, "Mm -mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. This is not appropriate. We are not doing minors, and we are not skewing that young. And it would be really, really bad because Drew was 16 years old. Yeah, this is not a new taxi driver. Mm Mm-mm, it is not. It is not. 
and I'm so glad that he turned her down. Yes. He also turned down Winona Ryder. For the same reason. 18 years old. Yeah, but Winona Ryder, like, even to this day, she still looks so young. You just Still, man. Just... Still. Absolutely not. It's a no. She was in Heathers the year before. Yeah, which is... I mean, come on. It's a very adult movie, but still, it's a no. Also turned down for being too young, Jennifer Connelly. Okay, yeah. She was 19. Mm -hmm. Uma Thurman. Okay. She was 19. Yeah, okay. And then two that um, just didn't get the role, they were both 24 at the time, so... Okay, we're, we're out of that area. It was rough, but again... Good on you, Gary Marshall. I'm proud of you. We have Brooke Shields and Kristen Davis, both who were 24 at the time. Okay. Anybody? Anybody here that you're interested in? Nope. Nope. How about Joan Cusack? No. (laughs) She would eventually appear alongside the reuniting of this crew in Runaway Bride. Yes. I mean, I love Joan Cusack. I really do. But her flavor is wrong for this movie. Now Joan Cusack is Kit? Okay. I can deal with that. That you can sell me. All right. Two actresses who turned it down. Specifically, Michelle Pfeiffer. She said she did not like the tone of the script. Okay. Don't know if she just didn't like that it was a comedy and it wasn't serious enough. Daryl Hannah believed the role was degrading to women. I mean, she's not wrong. She's entitled to her opinion on that. I don't agree, but that's that's her line in the sand for what she wants to do. Yeah. We have Valeria Galino, who was the love interest in Rain Man. Um, she didn't think she could be convincing because of her thick Italian accent. Oh, okay. She's she was really good in Rain Man. Mm-hmm. But I think she was just like, I can't I can't do this role. <laughs> Jennifer Jason Lee. Oh, okay. Mm, I don't hate it. Leah Thompson. Well, of course, Leah Thompson. She actually flubbed the audition. She thought it was a drama and not a comedy. Fair. And so she was just completely unprepared. Also fair. Sarah Jessica Parker wound up turning it down because of the content. Okay. And finally, very interested in the role, coming hot off the heels of one of her big performances, The Accused, Jodie Foster. No. She just doesn't have, like, for for the script, for the way the film ended up, she just doesn't have that type of appeal. That is such a long name of actors Mm -hmm. who cannot match what Julia Roberts did in this movie. Not even a little bit. And the the final one I do have to recall is that Sean Connery was Disney's choice for Edward. Meg Ryan was their choice for Vivian. Sean Connery and Meg Ryan. They shouldn't be in a movie ever together. (laughs) Now, Meg Ryan, I get. And Meg Ryan, I think, could do this. She's got the grit to pull this role off. She can do some grit. She's the best when she's in French Kiss with Kevin Klein. Now, you put those two in this movie, hot damn, you got a ticket sold to Diana because I am happy. Meg Ryan and Richard Gere. I I could make that work. I don't love that as much, but I don't hate it. They could make that work. I don't don't think that's bad. No, it's not. It's not bad. But I think Julia just looks better next to Richard Gere. I mean, she does. She does. Okay, let's move on to our final main actor, because everybody else I'm qualifying as Arpons, even though there's some big names. Playing Philip Stuckey, we have one Jason Alexander. Now, he is primarily a theater man, other than the role that he started right before this, Mm -hmm. which is George Costanza in Seinfeld. So weird to think about that. In fact, 
in Jerry's apartment, there is a VHS tape of Pretty Woman. I love that. Because Jason Alexander was in the movie. That's lovely. <laughs> that brings me joy. <sighs> Larry David's amazing. Larry David is a genius. After this, um, he's done lots of movies, but like I said, he does a lot of theater too. Mm-hmm. He was in Jacob's Ladder, Dinosaurs, the television show, Coneheads, The Paper, North, Blank Man, For Better or Worse, The Last Supper, Dunstan Checks In, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, he's a voice, Love, Valor, Compassion, The Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle, Shallow Hal, lots of time on Curb Your Enthusiasm, The Grand, and he also does a ton of voice work. He is an actor of all trades. Yep. I mean, to be your slimy bad guy, so good. Oh, he's fabulous. He's such an asshole. He's the anti-George. Oh, he's the complete opposite. I think when... I first saw this movie. We were a big Seinfeld house. If there was one show that my mom was obsessed with, it was Seinfeld and sometimes ER, but mostly Seinfeld. It was so weird for me to see him as Stucky. Yeah. But he was phenomenal. I loved him as Stucky. It's that thing of like, George Costanza is a man who wants to do everything right, but utterly fails because of who he is. No, 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 no. George Costanza wants to be known as someone who does the right thing (laughs) he does not want to do the right thing if it's going to require effort in any capacity that's fair philip stuckey will dedicate everything to ruthlessly mercilessly get the deal there you go see that that's correct and again it's that thing we talked about though that there's a level of restraint Mm-hmm. in his performance that makes it not just go flying off the rails yes this could be cartoony or grotesque but it feels very real and thus when we get to the point where he is attacking vivian it mm-hmm. is incredibly threatening yes because we believe him <laughs> oh yeah it really works now who could have been better hmm. newman himself oh, wayne yeah. knight sure <laughs> he he got to be a bad guy, a squirrely bad guy in Jurassic Park. It's fine. He did. The other funny part here is that Wayne Knight auditioned for the role of George Costanza. Yeah, I knew that. And lost out. But they loved Wayne Knight so much they made him Newman. Oh, yeah. One of the best TV villains ever. Without even really being a villain, he just annoys the shit out of Jerry and tries to make his life miserable i mean it's genius he's also annoying to everyone watching him I mean, nobody likes him but that's kind of the point except sometimes we do because he gets one up on jerry and jerry yeah, that's what guy. that's why he's amazing <laughs> but uh very funny very funny that uh that wayne's had to lose out to jason a couple of times here yeah that's not surprising they're in a very similar lane all right let's move to our pawns we'll try to roll through these quick but wow there's a lot random people up note We have Ralph Bellamy playing James Morse. He is a hugely famous character actor, started in the 30s and 40s. We'd know him as Randolph Duke in Trading Places and as the same character in Coming to America. Mm -hmm. This was actually his final film role. And he received credit over Jason Alexander, Laura San Giacomo, and Hector Elizondo, despite the fact that he is in two scenes and does not show up until 50 minutes in. He earned that. That he worked for decades to get no that credit. Shade. But that is interesting. <laughs> Laura San Giacomo playing Kit DeLuca. Uh, she was in Sex License Videotape, The Stand in 1994, and you probably know her best for Just Shoot Me. 
That show is fabulous, and I love her. She's very, very fun in this little role here. Uh, who could have been better for this? Demi Moore auditioned for the role. Mm, yeah, we see that. If it's a darker version, I'm okay with that. Sure. But not quite for the f- silliness of this. Alex Hyde-White playing David Morse, the grandson. He was young Henry Jones in The Last Crusade. So he was the young ver- young dad. Mm-hmm. And played Reed Richards in the 1994 version of Fantastic Four. Okay. We talk about how bad the ones are now. Mm-hmm. Who? Amy Yazbek as Elizabeth Stuckey. She's one of those comedic actresses that you know if you see her. Um, mm-hmm. She had a, a run later on on Wings, uh, was in The Mask, and she played Maid Marian in Men in Tights. Oh, okay. Eleanor Donahue, who plays Bridget in The Hotel. She was the oldest daughter on Father Knows Best, Ellie the Pharmacist on The Andy Griffith Show, and played Lady Palmore in The Princess Diaries 2 Royal Engagement. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. He brought everyone back for Princess Diaries. Yes. Yes, he Except did. Julia. <laughs> because he had new Julia. Well, he probably would have brought Julia Roberts if she had the time to do it. Okay, it's because of this comparison that I am convinced that Julia Roberts should have played Miranda Priestly in Devil Wears Prada. It would have been a much better mirror and a brilliant casting choice. I love Meryl Streep. No disrespect to her. But if you've read that book, which is great, it should have been Julia Roberts. Okay, that's my weird, that's, <laughs> that's my weird soapbox. Hector Elizondo playing Barney Thompson. He is an instantly recognizable character actor of many, many years. We love him. Of course, Runaway Bride, Princess Diaries, but I mean, God, the list goes on of what he's in. Disney told Gary Marshall that they did not have the money in the budget for Hector. So Gary Marshall paid him out of pocket. I got a job. You got a job. Disney ultimately relented based on how much fucking money this movie made. Yeah, that's And they repaid Gary Marshall for the out-of-pocket expense. <laughs> Good on them. No, no, you should have just paid the fucking money. I mean, yes, but they did a bad and they made it right. So, okay. Uh, All right, whatever. Hank Azaria playing a detective. (laughs) So weird. I honestly didn't know that was him until recently. I do not expect Hank Azaria to just pop up in a movie. (laughs) Well, he was a character actor for a very long time while also being on The Simpsons to pay the bills. Uh. Good times. Larry Hankin playing the landlord. We've talked about him a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course, he was on Friends as the the weird guy, and we've had him in three different movies, Annie, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, and Vegas Vacation. Scott Marshall playing the skateboard kid. He is the son of Gary. Mm-hmm. Kathleen Marshall playing the very confused day desk clerk. She is the daughter of Gary. And she is also in both The Princess Diaries. (laughs) Larry Miller playing Mr. Hollister, the epitome of Smarm himself, an incredible character actor. You know him, you love him. Stacy Keach Sr. playing Senator Adams. Yes, he is the father of that Stacy Keach. Tracy Reiner playing the woman at car. She is Penny Marshall's daughter and plays Betty Horn in A League of Their Own and Mary Hayes in Apollo 13. She is Gary's niece. Mm-hmm. Because people get confused. Penny Marshall is Gary's sister. Yes. It's a weird thing. Yeah. It, it's just, uh, yeah. Rio Hackford, who plays a street junkie, he is the son of Helen Mirren and director Taylor Hackford. Hmm. As the bum tour guide, Gary Marshall. Mm-hmm. And 
Playing Blair, the secretary, is Blair Richwood. She was Gary Marshall's actual secretary. Oh, I love it. <laughs> That's just sweet. I thought that one was fun. I thought that was a good casting. All right. Trivia. Trivia. Richard Gere's snap of the necklace case on Julia Roberts' fingers was completely improvised. And the reaction was so good and natural, they kept it in the film. Yeah, it's iconic. It's recreated all the damn time. Julia's laugh is so infectiously good. Yeah, she's got a great laugh. And it Mm -hmm. has has different gears, too, which is great. Well, and especially when it's provoked for real. Well, yeah, when it's natural. Also, the, in the confrontation with Stucky in the hotel room after he's accosted her, you can see Richard Gere rolling his tongue around in his mouth. That's because he got so into the scene, he knocked a crown off of one of his molars. Oh, wow, yeah. But Marshall kept that take. Now, Julia Roberts' face is on the movie poster, but it is superimposed over her body double, Shelley Michelle. Okay. And Richard Gere's hair is very brown in the poster, despite the fact that he is most definitely graying already. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but there's some interesting notes about Shelley Michelle for this movie. There was a mm-hmm. lot of interesting trivia. She auditioned in a string bikini okay. because she's a body double. But according to her, Gary was incredibly great to work with. So I assume he just did his trademark thing of like, look, you got to take your clothes off. That's the deal. But we're going to treat you as nicely as we can. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She got the audition through a recommendation from her boyfriend, who was the body double for Richard Gere. That's hilarious and adorable. Now, Shelly Michelle was ballet trained. So she had incredible poise and posture when she walked. And Gary Marshall's first thing working with her was to have her redo her walk because she had to, quote, walk like a cowgirl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she, yeah, I get that. Because Julia Roberts does not walk like that. She's abroad. She is. She's abroad. She's abroad in heels. And Julia absolutely loved working with her. She wanted her to work on Julia's next project, Flatliners, but Shelley Michelle had other commitments and was unable to do so. Hmm. A wonderful case of, like, everybody had a really happy time making this movie. I like it. Now, this film was, of course, very popular everywhere, but specifically TV reruns are, for some reason, immensely popular in Spain. Okay. As of July 2014, the film had been shown 19 times on Spanish television. Now, we're not talking about the cable stuff, I'm assuming here. Mm-hmm. Just, like, Spanish TV, they've shown it 19 times. Every time, it rates between 14.9 and 55.6% of viewers. Wow. For whatever reason, Spain loves Pretty Woman. Okay. One particular issue they ran into was product placement, particularly Stucky's car that Edward drives around at the beginning of the movie. Mm. Ferrari and Porsche refused to license their cars because of the association of sex solicitation. Oh. They were too stuffy. And the UK manufacturer Lotus mm-hmm. was willing to take the risk. They were not as high profile, so they were like, well, we'll do it. Their sales tripled in 1990 because of the placement <laughs> of the Esprit in this movie. That's a Lotus Esprit. And I was like, shit, that's, that's an early 90s, 80s car. I know, right? Yeah. But it, it worked. It paid off oh, amazingly yeah. well for them. And Ferrari and Porsche were probably kicking themselves for being shitheads. When Stucky slammed the door on his Lotus, they had to replace the door because Jason Alexander broke the window. 
Oh, no. <laughs> we talked about the similarities to Pygmalion and then, of course, My Fair Lady, which is an interesting thing because Alex Hyde White, who's playing David Morse, his grandfather was Wilfred Hyde White, who played Colonel Pickering in the 1964 film version of My Fair Lady. Okay. While filming the bathtub scene, singing Kiss by Prince, Julia Roberts emerged from underwater to find that everyone, including the cameraman, had left the room. Oh, no. <laughs> like Edward, Gary Marshall was also incredibly afraid of heights. Okay. Obviously, uh, the Roy Orbison song provides the title for the film and is featured, Pretty Woman. Now, they wanted to use the Van Halen version, mm -hmm. but they were turned down potentially for copyright. But I'm going to tell you, had Julia walked into that store while the Van Halen Pretty Woman was playing, oh, that would have been good. Yeah, but it's the wrong tone for the movie. I don't think so. The Van Halen one is really good. Yeah, I know, but I think this one is the right vibe. I want the Van Halen version when she's on Rodeo Drive. I want the Roy Orbison version over the credits. Meh. Or flip it. Maybe put the Van Halen version at the credits. I could do that. Anyway, Per Gessler, one of the primary members of the Swedish band Roxette, was in Los Angeles preparing for a tour when he was asked to write a song for a film then titled $3,000. Mm-hmm. He didn't have time. They were literally about to go on tour. But he said, look, we had this Christmas song that we released in Sweden back in 87. It must have been love, parentheses, Christmas for the brokenhearted. In order to fit the film, he changed the lyrics from Hard Christmas Day to Hard Winter's Day to remove the holiday references. But Gary Marshall loved it so much, he re-edited the film to use the song in a non-dialogue scene. <laughs> that was my thing. I was like, did they make this for the movie? No, it was like a one-off Christmas single that they used for the movie. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. The necklace used in the film did, in fact, cost $250,000. Oh, wow. During filming, a security officer from the jewelry store stood behind the director with a gun. <laughs> I mean, that's a bit much, but I get it. Now, on the other hand, Vivian's red coat was bought for $30 from a movie usher in the street just before filming started. I love it. <laughs> and Vivian's off-the-shoulder gown was originally intended to be black, but Marilyn Vance, the costume designer, who, if you name a famous 80s movie, she probably designed the costumes for it. Sure. I, it's wild. But she thought it was too boring, and she switched it to red, which works so much better. Oh, it's very dynamic. And the whole point is she's supposed to look out of a little out of place when she's at the opera because everyone else is wearing black and she's in this red. It's 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 what needed to be done. And it plays back to her red coat. Yeah. Now, as another fun note, Vivian is watching the Hepburn Grant heist classic charade in the hotel. Mm -hmm. in which the missing fortune is $250,000. Hmm, okay. They originally planned to film the opera in San Francisco, which is where they are flying. Hmm. But an earthquake there forced them to film instead at the History Museum near USC in Los Angeles. Hmm. So they're not going to the Met. They are flying to San Francisco. Oh, um, okay. They say that in the film. Oh, okay. 
And finally, and you even mentioned this, the dinner scene where Vivian flings the snail across the room was recreated with the exact same actor playing the waiter in The Princess Diary. Hmm. Finally, awards. Awards. This movie was nominated for an Academy Award. Mm -hmm. Julia Roberts, Best Actress. Yeah. Now, she did not win, but she was nominated. And that leads us to our ratings. For every film, we have a very specific ratings system for this movie. Hmm. How many thousands of dollars? Oh, that's too easy. There's so many symbols in this movie. Come on. How many Lotus Esprits? Fine, Lotus Esprits. <laughs> I mean, it's not five, man. It's a five. Ooh, okay. Interesting. No qualifications. It's a five. I'm not going to go that high. Okay. I'm going to go four and a half. <laughs> Seriously, there are things with the, with the script, like I said, and the aging of it, and it is not the fault of the movie, which is why I don't knock it down to like a four. Mm-hmm. But it's just aged enough to where it's, it's such a great story and movie, but there are parts of it that it's just like, it doesn't quite work anymore. Mm. And it's, it's little things. Like, I'm, I'm really quibbling there, but it's enough of those little things for me to go, it's not quite as perfect, mm-hmm. but nevertheless, it is a must-see, if only for the performances. Like, the, the way these two are on camera... The fact that this is a true movie star moment for an actress, mm-hmm. like this is this is the moment she becomes a full-on movie star, and she owns it, every bit of it. I mean, you cannot deny it. It's just great. Yeah. Hey, I'm not knocking it. I totally understand the five for me. It's just, it's a little bit below, but that's it. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm calling it like I see it, okay? I'm being honest. Fine. That's going to lead us, though our next film which is well it's a movie i don't think either of us have ever seen mm-hmm. it's a movie that's supposedly one of the funniest movies ever made oh we're watching my cousin Vinny. oh wow yeah no i haven't seen that i think i've seen bits of it just from it being on tv but yeah like i've never sat down and watched that film but it's supposed to be one of marissa tomei's best performances i just don't know how we couldn't spend some time with this classic movie, you know? Mm. All right. Well, until next time. Have a good movie. Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.